Hi, everyone. This is Anne Doherty with Alum's podcast, Current. And we hope you all had a wonderful 4th of July weekend and had the opportunity to reflect as well as to enjoy family and friends with the added holiday. On this podcast, this particular episode of Current, we're going to revisit last month's webinar on energy contractor networks. And we're doing this in the context of the passing of the Moving Forward Act which is a driver of clean energy jobs with the goal of modernizing our energy infrastructure and also to address existing disparities in urban, suburban, and rural communities across our country. As many of you know, clean energy jobs are a major employer in the United States. Um, In the clean energy sector alone, we estimate as many as 3.4 million Americans are employed. And that includes a wide range of folks from contractors who weatherize and improve homes, to factory workers who manufacture Energy Star appliances, and electricians who upgrade HVAC systems, as an example. Yet despite our best efforts, clean energy has really been hit hard by COVID-19, like many other sectors, resulting in more than 600,000 jobs lost by the end of the second quarter of 2020. So how do we get here? Well, as many of you well know, closures of clean energy businesses Um, were often driven by an inability to enter homes and other businesses to um, administer programs or service homes in support of utility-supported programs. They're also being driven by decreasing consumer demand, supply chain disruptions for both equipment and personal protective equipment, and the challenges of implementing new safety measures. All of these things have really um, had a severe impact and effect on the clean energy sector. So we're gonna pick up last month's conversation where my co-founder and business partner, Sarah Konzemius, sat down with a few panelists to discuss the impacts of COVID-19 on energy contractors. We'll talk to Dallas Howell of Nerd Power, Lucas Johnson of 475 Building Supply, Stephen Shanopoulos of Homeworks Energy, and Renee Wilson of Rockweiler Installation. As we search for solutions to get programs and projects back up and running, listening to contractors, understanding their concerns, and finding ways to balance the need to get back to work and the safety of those entering homes will be critically important. We hope that this webinar and the podcast that you're listening to now will help you think through those creative solutions. And with that, on to the podcast. So good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah Kanzemius, and I'm one of the co-founders of Alum Advising. We really want to thank you all for being here today and joining us for this conversation. Um, Alum is a research consultancy that supports the energy industry through cutting-edge social and data science research. Uh, We serve more than 50 public and investor-owned utilities across the country, delivering insights that focus on the human dimensions of clean energy. Uh, We provide our clients a holistic and boutique consulting experience, drawing on a deep bench of technical experts from backgrounds as varied as anthropology to economics to public health to engineering and physics. Before we get going, I'm going to cover a few housekeeping items today. Uh, We will be keeping everyone muted. If you have questions or thoughts that you want to share, we ask that you please do that 
using the Q&A feature. So there's both a chat feature and a Q&A feature. We'd, we'd like you to try to remember to use the Q&A feature so we can moderate the conversation. Um, if you put something in chat, we are watching that as well, so no worries. Um, if you're attending this meeting on Skype, please mute your audio and disable your video. And finally, please know that we are recording this webinar for those um, of you who would like to share it, share it with others later, um, or maybe it's going to be so good that you're going to want to go back and watch it at least four or five times. I, I think we've all finished Netflix, so this might be next mm -hmm. on your list to share with your family. Um, now that we have that covered, we are going to get started. Um, today, we're here to facilitate a conversation on the impacts of COVID-19 on the um, contractor network. Um, our, uh, despite our best efforts, clean energy has been hard hit by COVID-19 shutdowns, and you know it's put utility programs on hold. Uh, there's decreasing consumer demand for programs. There's been supply chain disruptions for equipment and protective. A gear needed by contractors. And then there's the challenge of implementing new safety measures. Um, these have all had an effect on project turnaround and participation and uh, utility programs. We know that during the month, Mar excuse me, the month of March alone, environmental entrepreneurs reported uh, nearly 100,000 clean energy workers filed for unemployment. And the Solar Energy Industry Association reported a 53% job postponement uh, for residential solar and 19% cancellation rate. So there's been a big impact. Um, one, on, on one end of the conversation really is the, you know, the possibility of an economic recession as households and business owners rethink investing in energy efficiency retrofits and upgrades. You know, we also know that program administrators and utilities are working hard to find solutions to get programs and projects back online, uh, get people back out in the field. But this requires thoughtfully balancing the need to reopen safely, uh, reopen the economy, and support the contractor network. On the other end of the conversation are the experiences of contractors who you will hear from today and who are heading back to work as states reopen. So I want to introduce our panelists, and uh, I'm going to have each of them say hello after I, I read, uh, share a little bit about them with you, and then we'll go through the questions that we're going to cover today, and then we'll jump right in with the, the folk you're here to hear from. So our first uh, panelist is Dallas Howell. Uh, Dallas Howell serves as Nerd Powers Sales Manager in Southern Arizona. In his role, he advises residential and commercial customers in the adoption of renewables, retrofits, and energy efficiency upgrades. Prior to joining Nerd Power, Dallas worked for Solar City as a renewable energy consultant. He's a graduate of the University of Arizona. Looks like we may have lost Sarah's signal there. Hi, all. This is uh, Victor Mercado. I'm going to just continue Dallas's bio. Uh, in the meantime, until we can get uh, Sarah back online, um, just give me a thumbs up, panelists, if you can hear me. Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much. Um, so uh, Dallas, actually, I, I know Dallas, he's a good colleague of mine, uh, lives also here in Tucson. Um, Dallas is a graduate of the University of Arizona College of Education. Um, and uh, as a junior college athlete, uh, when he's not involved in creating a more sustainable future, uh, Dallas volunteers by coaching youth sports programs, such as the Hills Pros 
Hills Pro Baseball Camp. Uh, Dallas, if you want to say hello and give us a wave. Hello. Bear down. <laughs> Bear down, Dallas. Uh, go ahead, Sarah. Victor, Sarah's back. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Okay. I don't know what happened. I was talking away. So, um, all right. So Dallas gave us a wave and said, hello. You all just uh, keep me posted if you lose me again here. I apologize for that. Uh, so our next presenter is Lucas Johnson. Uh, Lucas is the Western Regional Manager for 475 High Performance Building Supply. He's a building scientist who has worked as a builder, utility program manager, enclosure systems consultant, and clean tech venture capital consultant to deliver zero net energy, passive house, living future, and even two of his own standards, sun building and active house. Lucas holds a degree in physiochemical biology, which might be the coolest degree name ever, as well as a master's of environmental science and eco-entrepreneurship. His position at 475 is his dream job since he gets to share his experience by collaborating with architects, engineers, and builders to make their project cost-effective, carbon negative, healthy, durable, and enjoyable. Uh, 475 High Performance Building Supply um, it is uh, standing at the crossroads in the climate fight. 475 is building the passive house market through providing best-in-class products, technical knowledge, grassroots organizing, and advocating for public policy change. The idea of 475 began with its founders, architects, and building scientists alarmed by the climate crisis who recognized passive house technology was an urgent necessary response. The name 475 is a reference to the heat demand requirement of the passive standard, passive house standard, 4.75 kilo BTUs per square foot per year. Uh, if you could give us a wave and say hello, Lucas. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Stephen Shinopoulos. He's the business development coordinator for Homeworks Energy. Stephen has a passion for assisting, educating, and empowering communities, bringing together his experience in the environmental and education fields. Uh, one of our team members, Amanda, first met Stephen on the ground in a grocery store in Dor Dorchester, Massachusetts, where he was talking one-on-one -on -one to community members about their homes and about the Mass Save program. Stephen connects people to energy-saving opportunities like home energy assessments, insulation, weatherization, and HVAC upgraded, upgrades through HomeWorks Energy, the largest home performance contractor in Massachusetts. In his marketing and outreach and business development role, he builds strategic and community partnerships to help thousands of residents reduce their carbon footprint and save money through MassSave. And he's a graduate of Wheaton College in Massachusetts. So HomeWorks simplifies energy efficiency by making it easy for homeowners to reduce their energy cost and carbon footprint. As a MassSave partner and the largest home performance contractor in Massachusetts, HomeWorks is proud to be leading the U.S. in energy efficiency. Since 2018, HomeWorks has expanded its service networks to include New York customers in partnership with NYSERDA, Green Jobs New York, Energy Star, and the Empower program. So Stephen, if you can say hello and give us a wave. Hi, everybody. Hi, Stephen. And last but certainly not least, we have Renee Wilson, who is the president of Rockweiler Insulation, Inc. Renee is the second generation uh, 
president of Rockweiler Insulation, an independently owned family business located in Verona, Wisconsin. She's a graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Business School and has spent her entire career in the insulation industry. Uh, Renee is an active member of many industry associations and business organizations and serves on the Owens Corning CEE Board of Directors and was past president of NARI Madison. Rockweiler Insulation specializes in, specializes in residential insulation, primarily single family new construction homes, as well as retrofit applications in existing homes. Founded by her father, Gary Rockweiler, who's one of my favorite people, the company is led by Renee. Gary's oldest daughter, Rockweiler Insulation has been recognized as the region's only Owens Corning certified energy expert. Through this program, the company seeks to ensure builders and homeowners receive the best knowledge, workmanship, and the warranty in the industry. So Renee, if you could say hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. All right. Uh, before we jump in, I just want to quickly review today's questions with everybody. So the first question we're going to cover is how has COVID-19 impacted how you operate your business? The second question we're going to cover is how are customers responding to changes as a result of COVID-19? Our third question is going to be covering what the key questions are that our panelists are thinking about as they navigate these uncertain times. And our fourth question will be what can utility programs do to support you and your customers? And then finally, we're going to uh, spend a little time hearing what our panelists plans are for the future as they reopen and rebuild. So we have a pretty packed agenda today and I am going to get us going and jumping right in. So we're back to question one. So how has COVID-19 impacted how you operate your business? And we're going to start with Renee. So you're the second generation owner of an insulation contracting company. So I imagine that even with all your experience, you're still really navigating un uncharted territory. Um, tell us how COVID-19 has impacted how you do business and how you're thinking about your business. Well, uh, great question. Uh, I got, have to say that I did not think that I would be facing anything that my father hadn't already seen and experienced. <laughs> uh, we've been in business for 37 years and he had been in the insulation business for 13 before that. So um, it's been very interesting having conversations with him uh, as far as what he's had to deal with and, and dealing this brand new thing that none of us saw coming. Uh, we are lucky enough to be a, a part of an organization that's a group of insulation contractors across the country uh, that share best practices. And we actually noticed that uh, getting our PPE was very difficult uh, even before the virus took hold in the United States. Um, when China was experiencing a lot of their issues, uh, they were taking up a lot of the 3M masks, respirator masks. And that's something that insulation contractors use on a daily basis um, in dealing with new construction and retrofit applications. So we started con contracting with each other, commenting uh, that, hey, we're having difficulties finding uh, these materials. You may wanna start stocking up now, uh, helping each other figure out how to procure some of the PPE. And that's probably been uh, one of the biggest earliest indicators that we had. Um, and then as far as when everything started happening here and um, more people were getting sick, uh, we really spent a lot of time educating ourselves on 
you know, how we can be responsible. Can we keep our employees and our customers safe and still, you know, do business? Uh, we were lucky enough in Wisconsin to be considered an essential business. So uh, a lot of work went into making sure that everyone could feel safe uh, doing their job and that people could feel safe coming into their homes. So, um, you know, managing fears of our staff, uh, fears of our customers uh, about things that, you know, we just didn't really know about. Uh, so that took up a lot more time than what I typically do uh, in a business day. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's, it all comes down to making sure that the safety of our staff and our customers is at the forefront of our minds. And so we also want to give customers the best service possible. So what we did in the beginning was we suspended all of our retrofit uh, work where we went into people's homes. Everyone was hunkering down and your home is your safe space. And we didn't want to invade that um, right away. And, and as people are starting to kind of relax and know a little bit more about what's going on, uh, we're able to show them that we have put a lot of thought into how we can safely do work uh, and, and make everyone feel safe. Great, thanks Renee. So Stephen, HomeWorks like other energy efficiency contractors has suspended home energy assessments and weatherization work as a result of COVID-19. What type of work have you been able to move forward or has that started to change now that we're a little farther along here? Yeah, thank you for the question and thanks for having us today. Um, so to provide a little context for what we do, especially before um, all the issues with COVID, we as a home performance contractor, we primarily serve um, two purposes. So we provide home energy assessments and heating and cooling assessments. So we're helping people reduce their energy bills, whether that's through, um, you know, instant savings measures as we call them, which are things like just LED light bulbs, programmable thermostats, common, common sense measures like that. Um, we also help with insulation and, and provide rebates for that. And we um, help people upgrade to new high efficiency heating and cooling systems. So before COVID struck, we were um, growing very quickly. We were up over 500 employees. We had diversified to working in New York with the NYSERDA office. Um, and obviously with COVID, things have you know taken a, uh, a turn there. And we are um, performing really a fraction of what, the, what we were performing before, but we are still performing home energy assessments. We've moved to a virtual model. So we're still um, you know, up and running and we're providing virtual home energy assessments for people across the state. Um, it is reduced from what we were performing before um, but we are, you know, up and running and helping people save money on the, those utility bills. So how it looks now is people pr provide photos in advance and we have a meeting with one of our home energy specialists over the phone or a video chat, look through the house, see where people can save some money. And we then mail those instant savings measures, which are no cost through the program. So you have your home energy assessment. We're still able to mail you the things that will help you save money right away the light bulbs, the programmable thermostats, the water saving devices, the power strips. Um, and one of the biggest things the program is doing in Massachusetts right now is that we're, um, MassSave is funding insulation at 100% off temporarily. So if you have a virtual home energy assessment right now, it might be some time until we can guarantee that the work is done, but that insulation job is no cost now through the program. So that's one of the biggest benefits. Um, and we're really just making sure that we are following all the safety measures as closely as possible. So it's looking like some work will start up again in June, 
we're just making very certain that we're you know prepared with the PPE, um, other safety measures, um, following the CDC guidelines as closely as possible. So we're gradually ramping back up and getting out there and um, still performing home energy assessments just, just virtually right now. Great, thank you for that. Uh, Lucas, your company 475 supplies some of the best products in the industry in the narrow niche of serving architects and engineers and builders in the market of high performance buildings. So how, how has this affected your business? How has COVID-19 affected you? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, it's indeed an unfortunately narrow niche, um, but it's been rapidly growing, I'd say, over the years. And uh, an interesting thing I've noticed that's been different about this experience is typically, historically, green building has been somewhat separated or isolated from the general construction market. For instance, in 2008 to 2010, green building grew something like 20% year to year versus the rest of the construction market taking a nosedive. Um, that's not the case in this scenario, right? COVID-19 has kind of been the great equalizer in a lot of ways. Um, so it's definitely been a major bump in the road. And, uh, I hope it's not going to have long-term impacts on our business because it is a major economic crisis, but it's also been driven by a significant singular force, the virus itself, rather than, you know, truly troubling underlying economic issues. So what I've been noticing as we move into phase one, phase two, and some of the territories that I manage is I think there's a strong chance the market's going to recover pretty quickly once we can responsibly conduct our business uh, in the age of pandemics. Um, but it's also worth noting that one of the core predictions of climate change is an increased incidence of pandemics. So I'm not really looking at this as a one and done situation where we get past it and move on. I'm thinking about this as a fundamental shift in how we think about responsibly operating a safe business in the modern world. Um, so luckily, uh, as a company, you know, we're a team of people who've been using our combined skill sets to transform the built environment to massive source of carbon sequestration. But given that was the mission from day one, we've set up as an e-commerce company since the beginning um, that was intended to minimize the carbon footprint and cost of our operations, but it turns out it's also pretty good for resilience in this age of pandemics, right? Um, so I've been working at home from the first day of this job. That's why I have my fancy virtual background and stuff. I'm very used to this, this world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the major difference is now I'm doing all my meetings, site visits, and conferences in the virtual world, which has its pluses and minuses, right? Um, I, I find that virtual site visits can work really well, you know, walking around a job site with builders, even for us uh, for, you know, let's say you're doing energy audits. I used to do those virtually as well. So um, a lot of our services can be performed in the virtual world, I've found. Um, but the construction world does require a lot of in-person elements to operate uh, in general, like, you know, you have to be there to build stuff. Um, and while we're trying to limit, you know, clients need for carbon impact and exposure risk, um, we're also very cognizant of the realities of having to get back to work and what does that look like? I mean, I spent over a decade as a builder myself, so I, I get that side. And, you know, sales have been slower than we'd hoped for in 2020, but uh, we've been discussing a lot that hopefully this slowdown has been worth it in the sense of what this pandemic can provide as far as perspective. Um, I would argue that society was definitely in need of a pause to kind of reflect on what our priorities are and uh, 
there's no real need for me to rush back into this concept of normal. I think we need to move towards a better world because that's what all of the programs that we work on in our normal lives are all about delivering, right? Uh, so this is a really wonderful moment in the sense that the majority of people have been forced to you know, hit pause, reprioritize, reflect. And uh, I'm seeing that. Um, I've had tons of wonderful phone calls with people who have really been opening their minds to doing you know, more work like what we promote. It's just, when is that work gonna actually happen? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the fundamental question. Um, and I'd say, yeah, I mean, once we get the logistics in place and we have the materials required to do construction and the PPE required to do it safely, you know, if you've ever been on a job site, contractors are people that are generally pretty used to wearing masks, gloves, goggles, and staying six feet apart from each other. <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. a new thing in the construction world. So um, I think we can do it. I'm very hopeful. And uh, yeah, that'll, that's my piece. And in general, I did the best to, you know, kind of guess what would be useful information. And if uh, folks want to hear more perspectives on this, I, I have a pretty interesting perspective of managing tens of thousands of projects on a North American basis. So we have a pretty fascinating data set about what's going on in North America at the moment. Anyway, that's my piece. Great, thanks, Lucas. And before Dallas, I ask you this same question, I missed reading a little bit about your company. So I wanna share that quickly. Yeah. Uh, so um, again, Dallas is with uh, Nerd Power, which is based in Phoenix, Arizona and prides itself on the impact it makes both on the planet and members of its team with a presence in Arizona, California, New Mexico, Nevada and Texas, Nerd Power offers residential and commercial solar solutions as well as energy efficient products that work to reduce home energy use. So a little bit about Nerd Power there. Um, so Dallas, you mentioned that your company has seen some decline in sales as a result of COVID-19, um, but you're looking to find new ways to operate in this climate. What does that look like to you on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, thank you. And and I think just like we've all kind of shared, it's it's all about adapting to these times and, and kind of the uncertainty that homeowners are having right now. But really it's our goal to to navigate through these uncertain times. But we've we've been able to do, I think like Stephen mentioned, uh, virtual presentations. My wife jokes a lot, she says I'm not the best with technology, so it's been a little more difficult for myself, but we are able to to meet with people still. It's it's not face to face, and it's um, it's not as personal, I guess, if you will. But being able to to still see a face on the computer, you know, navigate through their home, find out what their needs are and why they're wanting to meet with us, has just been a it's 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 been a different you know scenery, if you will. Uh, and first and foremost, you know most importantly through all this is safety, not only for our, our homeowners and clients, but also for uh, our employees as well. So I think it has been a, a breath of fresh air to kind of take a step back and, and really see what we're doing, you know, correctly, what we can do to improve, how we can improve the experience for the homeowner, you know, moving forward when we go back into homes, but also being able to still have this platform available for homeowners that, you know, might not be comfortable in six months or a year or even two years. So it's, it's really helped our company adapt and, and just kind of give one more option for homeowners moving forward. So with a lot of the craziness that's, that's been going on, it's, 
it, it's been able to help as well, not only for some businesses, but also for homeowners. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Dallas. All right, we are going to move on to our next question, uh, which is how are customers responding to the changes from COVID-19? And I wanna start with Stephen, and I, I wanna um, impose on Stephen to address in his, his answer on this, uh, one, one of the questions that came in from our uh, participant Cyrus. So, um, you know, how do you expect savings to compare between virtual assessments and in-person assessments? So as you're thinking about how you're responding, to the changes from COVID-19 and you were talking about um, that you're doing virtual energy assessments now. You know, how, how has that gone? What are you hearing from people who are using them and, and the community that you serve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the virtual assessments have been going very well so far um, to specifically address the point of how the savings compare from the virtual assessment to, to the traditional in-person assessment. Um, I want to emphasize that part of the assessment, when we're able to, we're still going to be doing a walkthrough of the house. So we will be sending out a home energy specialist to guarantee that all the work is scoped properly and we'll still be sending the crew out to install later. So for the um, addressing the insulation and stuff, we're going to make sure that that's done properly and you know exactly by the book. Um, temporarily, the savings are actually substantially increased right now. So beforehand, before the COVID issues, uh, Massey was funding insulation projects at typically 75% off or more. So a minimum of 75% off. Um, temporarily due to COVID, it's only valid for a few more days and we're hoping it's renewed, but temporarily Massey is funding insulation projects at 100% off. So that's basement, walls and attic, the whole house. Um, if you have a, a virtual home energy assessment done before May 31st, your insulation job is paid for 100% by MassSave. So right now, the savings are actually the best they have ever been across the board. Um, and I guess I'll move on to the um, response from the community. So um, the response from the community is, has been great overall. Um, we do a lot of um, just outreach and awareness and making people um, aware of what the program can do for them. Um, I have spent a lot of time out in the field talking to people one-on-one. -on -one and you run into two general reactions from folks I noticed, which is people either love the state program, Mass Save, and they've done it already, or a lot of people think it might be too good to be true because who pays 75% off of insulation? Um, so we spend a lot of time just walking people through what the program can do. And the program has been running since 2008 with a, with a great track record. You know, it's it's functional from the, every point in the state, every town in the state. Um, state can participate as long as they pay into the utility program. So um, the response has been excellent and we are up and running. And, and if you're thinking about having the assessment done, um, now you have a few days here where you can guarantee that the installation will be 100% off. It just, you know, um, we're gonna do the assessment and we'll schedule the installation down the road. Okay. Great, thanks, Stephen. So, Renee, when we were talking to you before the call, you mentioned um, that there's some interesting changes to the dynamic between your your customers and your teams. That in the past, you know, a lot of customers kind of wanted to watch, um, <laughs> have a front row seat as crews were working on a project. But you know, how has that changed, and how are you setting interactions for or setting expectations for the the interactions between customers and your crews? You know. 
has there anything um, positive or interesting come out of out of this from that perspective? Yeah, that's been one of the biggest challenges on the retrofit side of our business because we've always uh, operated by the philosophy that we want to give customers the best experience possible. Um, and there's a lot of people that really enjoy knowing exactly what's going on in their home. Uh, whenever a contractor comes in, they want to know, what are you putting in my attic? What are you doing? Why are you crawling out to the edge? Um, some of the installers joke that, you know, oh my gosh, this homeowner was in my back pocket while I was crawling around. <laughs> so what we do, uh, it's, it's been very different managing the expectations. It involves a lot of extra you know, conversations with the homeowner, uh, videos on our website, uh, doing extra, you know, more virtual things rather than um, them actually seeing what the installers are doing. We have a, a COVID policy um, uh, list that's on our website that really spells out all of the expectations, what's going to happen uh, when the install crew comes, uh, that we need to have social distancing at all times. Uh, if they want to take a look at what we do, you know, we'll have to step away. They can go take a look before we close things up. Um, but we really have to maintain that social distancing. Uh, we've always operated by, you know, business, doing business with a handshake and a smile. And it's difficult to do that right now when you're wearing a mask and you're not supposed to uh, have contact with anyone. So, um, you know, just really making sure that customers are comfortable uh, with us coming in and, and doing work in their home. Great. Thanks, Renee. Um, Lucas, tell us more about your customers. What are they telling you about how they're navigating COVID-19? Uh, sure thing. Yeah. First, I just want to say, Renee, that's, that's, uh, it's funny. I, when I was doing home energy retrofits, I used to have my guys uh, wear GoPros in the attic, in the crawl space. I had a saying that was, that went something along the lines of integrity is what happens in the crawl space, <laughs> right? Washing, it sucks to get all the way back to that back corner, you know? And uh, we would do this for both audits and installs, and then we'd connect it to uh, an iPad so you could watch the guy crawl around doing the audit or doing the install. And it really helped um, with that trust kind of element of it. So I don't know if that would work out in this time. I also wish I was in Massachusetts, because if you see that photo behind me, that's my house here in Tucson, and there's not a lick of insulation in that attic. And um, <laughs> the solar I was able to do free. So ironically enough, it's a net zero house with no insulation. So. Anyhow, uh, my customers, broadly divided into two categories, I'd say. Um, the designers and engineers I work with, they tend to be still pretty busy right now, but very worried about what comes next. Like um, they, because of how busy the market's been for years, they had a pretty large backlog that could keep them and their staff busy. And most designers are able to work virtually pretty easily, right? So that, that was um, not that big of an issue. But what I'm hearing from a lot of designers is they don't have as many projects coming in the door right now. So they're worried about basically a fall slowdown. That's what the, the design side of um, folks that I talk to are, are worried about. The builders, of course, more or less had to hit pause on the majority of jobs, all non-essential construction. Um, they're getting back to work right now, but um, things are a bit slower and more expensive, of course, due to all the precautions that are needing to be taken. The uh, limitation often as as Renee was saying is it's the it's the material it's the uh, it's the, the protection the personal protection equipment it's um, actually having the materials you need to put together you know you can have your crew ready to go but if you don't have materials to build 
<laughs> you're not going to get very far, right? Um, so, you know, I'm a big silver linings person. Uh, what has been really refreshing is to see the solidarity, uh, especially in the green building world. The solidarity, I'd say, has always been there. It's been a, it's, you know, very much a culture of sharing and community and celebration of each other's work because um, it's certainly not an industry that keeps people based on income or <laughs> other elements like that in general. It's really about, um, you know, pulling together to make a better world. One uh, example is this thing uh, I helped put together in the Northwest called the Northwest, uh, I'm involved with this no uh, nonprofit called the Northwest Eco Building Guild, one of the oldest green building organizations out there. And we put together this thing called BRIC. Um, it's B-R-I-C, Building Resilience and Community. And it's a weekly call we do where the whole, what I would call high performance ecosystem can get together on a phone call and chat about how we can help each other. And this is subcontractors, architects, engineers, builders, materials suppliers, uh, bankers. That's a really important side of things, lawyers politicians. It's, it's the whole community getting together and being able to have these conversations. So that's been a wonderful thing that's been happening. Uh, and another nice trend is the level of transparency, which is always pretty good in the green building world. It's going up and up and we're being really open about uh, everything from, hey man, I don't have the money to buy that order right now to, hey, my kids are going to jump on this webinar with me, right? There's been so many more uh, moments of, of connection and uh, I think honesty. And that's really what we need is to peel back those layers, the onion to see how we can all collaborate to, uh, to really do better. Um, and I think we can effectively get back to business as normal uh, with a few key caveats at this point. Um, if you give a lot of extra time, speaking from a material supplier standpoint these days, um, and also then speaking with my building science consulting hat on, give a lot of extra lead time. Getting stuff done on the consulting side takes longer, getting materials delivered can take longer. So give a lot of extra time. Um, make sure you're uh, smart networked like Renee and have all the uh, PPE lined up uh, you know, communally so that you have that, because uh, it sucks if you have the materials and the crew ready to go, but not the PPE. So it's basically, you know, you need your protection equipment, your people and your materials, right? So get those all lined up well ahead of time um, given, you know, client budgets allow for that, everything. And then communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, with my top clients right now, I'm in way deeper communication than I've ever been before, just to make sure everything is going smoothly. And yeah, I think it's all about honesty, transparency, trust, and communication right now, uh, more than ever. Great. Thank you for that. I think it, you know, it's interesting you, you mentioned more time and something that uh, maybe some of our listeners might be, you know, interested in keeping in mind because sometimes programs have a limited window from pre-approval to getting the work done and, you know, hearing from you all that it, it can be taking more time to get the supplies, the equipment you need is uh, something that may need to be considered in utility programs in terms of those time windows. So it's an, interesting that you call that out. Um, That's an I also, point. Yeah. And, this, and then yeah. when you're on the job site, it takes longer to actually deliver things safely. So yeah, I mean, that, that's a really, really, really good point. Yeah. yeah. And, and the impact on job costs because of more time to, to get through it and, and what that means in terms of what percent of job cost incentives are helping to offset for customers. So very, very good points. I also love that integrity is what happens in the crawl space. I think that's just a good, um, 
yeah, a good message for life in, in general. So I'm, I'm full uh, of my uh, catchphrases. I do too many. <laughs> I'll be writing them down as we go. All right, Dallas, um, you have mentioned to us that you've pivoted a lot of your sales calls to platforms like Twitch, which I think is really interesting because I only know Twitch from my kids watching gamers uh, <laughs> in real time. So, you know, tell us a bit about Twitch and how your customers are responding to that and, you know, um, what they like, dislike about it and how, how you're finding it is to be using these new technologies with your customers. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like I mentioned earlier, the, the techno technology part of this is, has been uh, fun for me to, to learn as well, but it's great. It's, you know, we, we go through a, a virtual presentation when we're in home. So it's, it's very similar. There's a little weird picture of me in the bottom corner of the screen. So that can get a little, a uh, little uh, frustrating sometimes, but it, it's, it, it's been great. And the feedback we've got from customers, you know, it's nice because we go into people's homes, you know, not everybody's comfortable with that. Even if they are interested about hearing, you know, how to save some money and, and energy efficiency upgrades, it's still their home. They got their dogs running around, their kids running around. Uh, they just got home from work, you know, so, so some of the feedback has been pretty positive saying it's been nice just being able to hop onto a computer. Their kids can be running around in the background they can throw their dogs outside, whatever the case may be. And so it's, it's, it's been a good, uh, smooth transition. The, the other side of that is, again, the technology part. You know, you send them a Zoom link or you send them a, a, a link on Skype or, or whatever the case may be. And I'm not there to help troubleshoot. You know, sometimes they click on a link and they have to download 17 different things. And it can get frustrating. So just being able to, to walk through that with them and, and setting proper expectations, saying, hey, we're all in this together and this is, a, this is a new journey and a new road that we're all navigating. So if there are some technical difficulties, you know, we'll reschedule, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we need to do. But at the end of the day, our goal is, is just to educate and share information with homeowners to see if we can help them and, and their home become more comfortable and at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're in it together. So feedback's been great um, with, with a few little difficulties here and there. But for the most part, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a fairly smooth transition. Yes, that's, it's really interesting. I think when this started, we all, you know, Zoom had its day, man. I mean, we're on it now. And yeah. we all sort of navigated to Zoom and Skype. And I... Um, you know, it, thinking about all these other technologies that are out there that probably at least Mike, you know, I have teenagers that they're using every day and um, there's probably a lot we're missing in terms of opportunities to, to use different platforms and technologies to help serve customers in, in ways we're not thinking of. So that's really interesting. The, um, the, only, the only negative part about that is, is there's a, a large gr uh, green screen that was in my bedroom for about two months. So that was... <laughs> <laughs> we had to move. We had to move some stuff around to, to to fit it in there, but it's it's back at the office now, so we're good. That's very do, good. Do you record visits that you do, the virtual visits that you do, so people can you know review them again? We have a couple a couple referrals that I've had that were comfortable with it. I'll ask them just to use, and so so we do have a few recorded. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. That's really interesting. 
we've, we've done that like when we'll do virtual, you know, lunch and learns for someone. In reality, it's nice to meet people in person, but if we do it virtually, we can record it. Yeah. And they have something they can put in their education uh, you right. know, files for the future. So it, I don't know, there's some advantages to it, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. All right, so we're gonna move on to our next question, which is really what key questions are you all thinking about as, as you navigate these uncertain times other than um, when, when will things be normal again? I think, you know, we're all asking that question. So we'll put that one aside and um, focus on other questions that you've been thinking about. So, so Renee, you were talking about different ways to communicate what you do with customers and your expertise to ensure that that customer care still feels the same as it did before this. You know, what are other questions you're asking yourself or what else are you thinking about right now in terms of your business? You know, um, I, I I hesitate saying go back to normal because I think that there's just a new environment and permanent changes are going to be made uh, going forward. You know, a, a greater attention to hand washing and hygiene <laughs> that we, you know, mm -hmm. workers usually don't pay attention to a lot. <laughs> um, we're going to see a lot more hand washing stations, uh, uh, job sites and things of that nature. Um, but you know, we really, the questions that we ask ourselves all the time and no matter what we're doing is, you know, what is best for the safety of our staff and the safety of our customers uh, and, and how can we provide superior customer service to a homeowner and make them feel comfortable. So, you know, I, I, I think answering any more than that, you know, um, mm -hmm. we'll start from our business strategy. So we just really focus on the safety. Okay, great. Thanks, Renee. Um, Steven, so homeworks, you know, you provide a wide range of services and help people be more comfortable in their home. What questions um, would, you know, make, make your work feel less certain? What are you thinking about in this time to try to make sure that things feel less uncertain? And what questions are you asking yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, to, you know, to provide a little context for what the questions we're asking and why, um, I know people are watching from all over right now. So Massachusetts is, um, you know, people know that New York is kind of the epicenter of the COVID issues. So the two states we're active in are New York and Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts from a, when you adjust for population is not too far behind. We're, you know, about the fifth most affected state by the COVID issue. So um, it's, it's a gradual process for us. So um, you guys alluded to like, normal is relative there. It's gonna be a new normal. So we're trying to um, figure out when will new normal be and exactly what does that entail. Um, mm -hmm. It's challenging to move forward with installation work. And again, you guys have alluded to this, there's gonna be new requirements. So, you know, um, making sure there's hand washing stations, stuff like that. Um, jobs will probably take longer because of that. They're potentially gonna be more expensive. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to, you know, prepare as best we can. Right now we're still in phase one of reopening and it's it's a slow process so um the it's very understandable that there's limited inf information right now but at the same time the more information we can get about what new normal will look like and roughly when it's going to be um it's going to help us just prepare as best as possible to to deal with mm -hmm. what new normal will look like yeah i think we're all asking that question in different ways in our our own roles and positions so i appreciate that um, I just want to remind people that if you have questions, please feel free to drop them into the Q&A because we um, will do our very best to, to answer those questions. 
and we are keeping an eye on that. So Dallas, I'm going to go back to you. You know, the Southwest has had a lot of um, growth in housing over the years, but you know, as what questions are you asking yourself as maybe consumer confidence and, and possibly sales are, are declining in light of COVID? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's a, during this time, it's a lot of people are, are cutting costs and trying to, to save, you know, even, even sometimes when maybe it's not necessary, you know, I know I have some friends that are canceling Netflix, which is crazy right now. Yeah. We need Netflix more than ever. So there's, <laughs> so the questions that I have, you know, are how are we going to be able to communicate to homeowners during a, a, a scary pandemic time that we're in and, and really just being able to, to not, not even try to answer their concerns or questions, but really just listen and, and just, just be with them on the same level and, and really understand how we can help in, in any way. And I think we're all here for the same reason. And that's, you know, to, to make the world a better place, if you will. And, and if there's anything we can do to, in, in an uncertain time that we're in, just make them feel a little more certain, whether that's a consistent electric bill or whether that's, you know, having, you know, Lucas, you said you don't have insulation, you know, whether, you know, Lucas can just have a little bit of, of comfort knowing that his attic's not going to be 190 degrees, you know, any small thing that we can do to help, I think is going to go a long way. So, so that's really, you know, what I have to think about and what nerd as a company has to think about um, on, on what, on a large scale or a small scale, just, just really being able to listen to, to the concerns and hearing what people need at this time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and Lucas, I know in your role, you uh, often interact with a wide range of, you know, city planning and procurement people in those roles, um, you know, who have some ability to, to get people back to work and move the needle. What questions do you hope those type of people are asking themselves right now? Sure, sure. Yeah, and um, I probably should say I, there's a Mark Twain quote I would have written shorter, but I didn't have the time. So it's been busy. So my, my answers aren't as succinct as they could have been. Uh, Renee, your seventh grade English teacher would be mad at me, I think. Uh, so, but uh, one that just popped into my mind right now is, you know, if I were a builder or an architect trying to source PPE, that'd be kind of difficult, I imagine. So a question that comes to mind is, can government utility programs use their buying power to help arrange PPE, washing stations, those kind of things, right? Um, it doesn't have to be something that actually takes money out of the program. It could, I'm sure contractors, builders are happy to buy them. It's just, can you even buy them, right? Mm -hmm. So if the utility can buy 10,000 masks that then builders can buy at market rate, that would be amazing, I imagine. Um, so one of the kind of cliche things I'm sure you've all seen by now is the whole, like, can we flatten this curve too thing about climate, uh, about cl the, you know, climate crisis versus COVID-19 and there's some interesting parallels in that both are taking large scale, pretty dramatic action to address effectively an invisible existential threat, right? So we've, we've learned a lot from the COVID-19 pandemic that's very applicable to how we need to, the actions we need to take to address climate change. The difference is the actions we take to address climate change improve our lives instead of having us stuck at home with physical distancing and all that um, the actions we take to address climate change create jobs, 
improve our lives with, you know, I wish I wasn't blasting my AC right now. I'm like starting to get freezing cold on this call. It's powered by solar, so I don't feel that bad about it, but some attic insulation would be great, you know? Um, so Dallas, you're in Tucson too. Come on over. Let's blow some insulation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think the major difference is uh, between flattening the carbon curve and flattening the COVID curve is that the, diff uh, the actions we take, again, improve lives like electric cars, healthy insulation, uh, rather than forcing socioeconomic sacrifices uh, like what was required for COVID-19. Uh, another massively important thing that we clearly don't have time to dig too deep into, but embodied carbon, it's the uh, basically carbon impact that's baked into the materials from the harvesting, processing, production, manufacturing stages of the materials life cycle. Uh, one of the things that I'm seeing um, you know, Vancouver, BC and other really progressive places look into is uh, programs to go retrofit existing buildings with carbon storing insulation like wood fiber, cork, wool insulation, cellulose, these, these types of insulation approaches that both save carbon up front as well as save co operational carbon moving forward and create a lot of jobs and it's all exterior so there's not much interface required with the occupants of the building. Uh, so that's a, a program I've been seeing a lot of people exploring. Um, yeah, and basically uh, another trend I'm seeing with this great pause uh, that was kind of happening anyway is a lot of what I work on are, in, is, are programs that are in the context of saving carbon, right? And especially in California and Washington and Oregon. And um, we often talk about carbon and proxy units like kilowatt hours or BTUs. Mm -hmm. And while efficiency and operational carbon savings are mission critical and awesome, one of the core rules of science is we need common units, right? So we need to talk about carbon in pounds of carbon for both embodied upfront carbon as well as operational carbon. And I'm seeing a big trend towards that of putting codes uh, and regulations in terms of carbon and talking about savings in terms of carbon. Quick example, in Tucson and Tucson Electric Power, there's about two pounds of carbon per kilowatt hour on the grid because it's mostly coal. In Seattle, on Seattle City Light, um, there's about 0.1 pounds of carbon per kilowatt hour because it's 94% old hydro and the rest of it is renewables with like 1% natural gas in there. So there's a massive difference in how much carbon impact is saved with efficiency depending on what utility you're connected to. Mm -hmm. And last, I'm a huge fan of, you know, government and utility programs. I used to manage them. They're, they're, they're great. But it's also really important to recognize, Sarah, you alluded to this, funding cycles have both timelines and some lack of predictability. Uh, for instance, I used to be the announced building scientist for the Community Power Works program up in Seattle. We retrofitted thousands of homes. We had a network of about 60 uh, contractors, architects, uh, energy auditors, et cetera, et cetera, all having great jobs for a few years. And then the funding cycle dried up and the entire market crumbled within like about three months. Um, so a question is maybe this isn't the time for major changes because we're already dealing with so much unpredictability and change that making a bunch of contractors memorizing new rules and everything as well intentioned as they might be might not be particularly advantageous. So maybe focus the changes on stuff like how do we get people back to work? How do we use our buying power to get PPE hand washing stations rather than how do we fine tune this program to save a little bit more energy? 
I think sure. that's the, the, the logic I'd be using in program design right now. Great. I, that's a great insight. And it leads us into our next question quite well, uh, which is what can utility programs do to support you and your customers? So Renee, I'll, I'll start with you again. Um, you're in Wisconsin, so Focus on Energy is the statewide energy efficiency and renewable energy program in Wisconsin. So when you think about um, Focus on Energy and what's going on in Wisconsin, what, what do you think Focus could do to help your customers and help revive the home, revive or support the home retrofit market and encourage customers to put energy efficiency more top of mind right now with so much else going on? Yeah, and this is a really important question. So thanks for asking it. Um, you know, budget is going to be on the mind of every homeowner out there uh, with limited work hours and the, the rising unemployment. Um, are people going to want to spend their money increasing their attic insulation, um, even though it can help them save money uh, down the road and help them feel comfortable in their home that they're stuck in right now? So, uh, <laughs> you know, we need to work on education uh, first and foremost. So, for example, here, uh, the utilities do a great job. They have a, a newsletter that goes in all the monthly bills. So, you know, maybe just plugging our programs in the newsletter and make sure that we're educating homeowners on the value that you get from doing these retrofit applications uh, that can save you money. Um, but the other thing and the bigger piece uh, of the puzzle is how can we help with the budget, right? So um, here in Wisconsin, we have incentives for each phase of um, retrofit that you want to do. Uh, attic insulation is a certain amount. Uh, sidewall insulation is another amount. Um, or you can go the, the route of doing an assessment and then that's a whole other um, incentive as well. Uh, this last year, uh, those incentives actually decreased and I think we need to increase those uh, to make sure that customers actually spend the money. Um, if the, if the, there's not enough you know, incentive there for the customers to actually uh, do that, uh, they're not going to. Um, and then the final thing that I'm hoping that all of us can convince uh, Washington to do is to really make that tax credit um, something that it has a lot of meat to it. Uh, the, the tax credit for upgrading attic insulation, you know, was a, up to $500 and it only counted towards the materials and not the labor. Well, you were lucky if you could get anywhere close to $500 for that credit. And it's not enough to actually have someone say, yeah, I want to do this because I'm going to get a monetary benefit out of it. So um, trying to help homeowners in a really tough time right now where they're really paying attention on where they spend their dollars, uh, giving them some help. Um, aside from everyone moving to Massachusetts, where you can get 100% uh, <laughs> of your insulation taken care of. <laughs> That's good. Thanks, Renee. Stephen, um, do you want to talk a little bit about how um, how the Mass Save could support uh, the work you're doing or support customers? You know, the insulation incentives are 100%. That doesn't mean everyone knows about it, so or they're comfortable with the virtual approach. What else could the utilities in Massachusetts be doing, or New York, since you're in those states as well, could be doing to help help their customers? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you guys brought up a couple awesome points because obviously. Um, anything utilities and MassSave can do to help us with the safety issues is, is going to go a long way. Um, and Renee, as you said, people a lot of times don't know about it. So that's uh, an important part of the, the battle we fight. Um, 
the 100% off installation thing is a very temporary measure currently. So I, it's until May 31st right now, and we're really, we're hoping that that is extended. Um, it's, you know, an unprecedented offer for, for folks. And the challenging part, especially for marketing side of things that I'm involved in is um, you have a really short window to make people aware that the program is 100% off right now. Um, a huge part of our business is done through direct mailings. So, I mean, snail mail, we don't even have time to really advertise the fact that it's 100% off installation right now. So there's a very short window here that we have. Um, and on that note, like the more publicity and outreach that MassSave and utilities can do about this program, that's gonna be a huge help for us. So we'd really like to see the 100% off extended as long as possible. Um, and for the utilities and MassSave to help uh, generate awareness and, and um, just put people at ease that the program is still there to help. It's it's better than ever in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, we're not going anywhere. Was the 100% off pre-planned or a response to COVID-19? That was a response to, to COVID-19, yeah. And, uh, you know, at this point, there's only three days left. So we really haven't done too much advertising on it, unfortunately. Well, um, it's going away in three days, right? Yeah, right. So fingers <laughs> crossed that they extend it um, and we can really put some some serious marketing behind that and, and make people aware of it. Yeah. Better hurry up, Lucas. Buy <laughs> <laughs> a house in Massachusetts first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Stephen. Um, Dallas, what about you? Your customers are pretty open when it comes to the relationship between themselves and their utility, but what are some takeaways from those discussions that you think would be important for utilities to hear so they can better support customers. Yeah, and, and I think to to agree with what Renee said a minute ago, it's you know, t utilities have a have a, a lot of power. You know, they people trust them. They they listen to them and you know, just something as small as flyers in in the bills that we get, you know, to our homes or on their website just just really you know, sharing information about how they can upgrade their home. And I know most of them do a really good job, but just to continue that effort and, and make sure, you know, that they are, you know, when we come to a home or when we, when we start a virtual presentation that we aren't complete strangers or we're not, you know, we're there to help. Um, so that would, that would be a very big help just to continue that process of, you know the the flyers and the in the newsletters the the website just 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 really you know i know we talk about it a lot that we're all here doing the same thing and i think that's even the same case as far as utility company they have numbers to meet as far as energy efficiency goals and and really just advocate on our behalf because they they do have a lot of say and they are well respected especially tep here in the community so we're very appreciative of them um, and just to just to keep continuing and helping that process um, and just being open and transparent with with customers, and I'm a TEP customer and as a, a solar customer myself, so I get the best of both worlds. So just to just to continue that process. Yeah, thank you. And um, Lucas, you answered this a little bit in our last question, but is there anything else you would add in terms of um, what utility programs can do to help you and your customers? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I touched on a lot of this already, but. Um... You know, fundamentally, any program is basically a managed network of relationships and good relationships thrive on trust. 
and it's kind of a you know I guess cheesy <laughs> metaphysical point in a sense but uh, when I was in uh, California where I was born and raised I ended up being the third contractor enrolled in Energy Upgrade California which is a massive time mm -hmm. with a $300 million utility program it's probably beyond that now and um, it was an exceedingly frustrating experience because it felt like the program was mostly designed around not trusting contractors. And I spent endless hours being a deep building science nerd with all my background. I've built modeling programs before, et cetera, et cetera, arguing about stupid energy, the energy pro modeling program, which has a huge error margin is anyway. There, there, was, there was all this issue with trust and um, it was, you know, the whole program was kind of like, let's put a ton of money into verifying if the contractors are actually doing their job because we don't think that they're people that really care about this work, which was really unfair because on the ground, everyone I worked with was very intelligent, passionate, caring people who were genuinely trying to improve the world. Maybe there's a couple bad apples, but there always are, right? And we can't develop programs based on assuming that we need to really manage those couple bad apples. Um, then I moved to Seattle, got to be the in-house building scientist for the Community PowerWorks program and a couple other Seattle Public Utilities programs on water conservation side of things. And those were all based on trust. First and foremost, communication, transparency, and trust with the contractors. And the couple bad apples that existed got weeded out of the programs pretty quickly but it was 100% based on trusting the contractors, looking at them as the experts that are on the front lines really doing the work um, and trying to support them as well as possible. So I guess mm -hmm. fundamentally, yeah, just really understanding um, that give, give the contractors the benefit of the doubt and really ask how you can support them to do the work that frankly they're dedicating their lives to doing as well, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's that's huge. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, we let's see, we are on to question five. But before, I just want to comment. You know, Renee, you mentioned about getting people, you know, to work, and it looks like the numbers are that there's been about six hundred thousand energy jobs lost. So getting people to work and um, thinking about how we can leverage utility programs to help get people back to work is really important. And I'm just, I'm glad you made that point. I think it's a really important point and something that we need to think about as we think about the future of this industry and um, all the, the people who have been available to serve it, um, who have been impacted by this directly. So our last question is really, you know, what, what are your plans for the future as you reopen and rebuild? What are you thinking about? So Stephen, I want to start with you here. Um, you know, what do you think the next phase will look like? Do you think um, what HomeWorks has learned or tried during COVID will change how you do your work in the future? Are virtual audits here to stay? Are they going to evolve? Um, can they re can they maybe not replace but um, supplement uh, in-person audits and still achieve the same types of savings? You know, what what are you thinking about? What does this look like for you? Yeah, we're we're optimistic about certain aspects of it. Um, Lucas, I, you said um, trying to find the silver linings and things, and and that's how I try and look at it as well. Um, the next phase is a little uncertain, but we'll definitely be continuing the virtual model, as you know, whether it's in tandem with um, the, the in-person home energy assessments, or as long as we need to continue the virtual assessments. Um, and there are certain advantages to that. Um, 
you know, I, I did start doing the home energy assessments myself as well. And there is a logistical challenge, just you're at two or three houses a day. There's a lot of um, driving time, travel time, and suddenly you can have a virtual assessment and, and do it from your house, you know? So there are big advantages to that. Um, we're also investing heavily in the virtual model. So technology and training, so people are ready to go and we can give you the, the best possible experience virtually that, that we can. Um, we're also learning a lot about approaching things from the health and safety perspective um, very thoroughly. So that as we do get back out in the field, um, we're gonna be doing everything to make sure that we're doing it properly. So there's no, no health and safety issues. Um, I'm optimistic about the future and I like that, um, you know, we really, we're investing in the future um, and the virtual model does have a lot of advantages. So I'm looking forward to, that will definitely be a, a cont continued service that we offer. Great, thanks for that. And, and Dallas, um, how about you? You're learning a lot about different ways to engage customers. What are you know what what has you optimistic as you think about your team getting back into the field? Yeah, thank you. And to kind of agree with Stephen, that safety is going to be the most important thing moving forward. And Sarah, you mentioned earlier we're going to you know possibly have this as a supplemental option for homeowners. And yeah, that's that's exactly what we're going to do. And giving them the option, fine tuning, you know, investing on the technology side, like Steven mentioned, um, is, is going to be, be a big part of this. And, but it, it is exciting. I think all of us were, you know, cooped up in our homes for a while. And, and as states are slowly reopening, uh, there is some excitement. There is some, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're excited to see faces again and meet people. And as long as it's in a safe and comfortable way for, for both parties, um, that's exciting. That's exciting for, for the, you know, the country, for, for businesses, for, for all people. And so, you know, it is going to be an exciting future moving forward. Um, it, it is going to be able to, to help us, you know, save time, like Stephen mentioned, as far as drive time. And here in Tucson, it's not as bad because there's not, not much traffic. You can kind of get anywhere you want in Tucson in 15 minutes. Sorry, sorry about that, but so, so it, it's very exciting. I think we're, we're all excited to, to get back and, and meet with people. And, and again, just being able to give them the option, which we really didn't have that in the past. We, we go to their home and, and uh, you know, sometimes it was uncomfortable. So it, it's gonna be fun for everybody to, to have the option that they want. And then for us as, as contractors to, to give them the best experience and in the safest way we can. Yeah, that's great. This is, there's been moments in this where I think this is the introvert's dream, right? Like I, I tend to, I tend to lean that way. And um, the idea of in the future being able to do more with having to talk to fewer people, that sounds terrible. But um, I think for some people, there's some real um, interesting opportunities and ways to engage that are coming out of this that just, just give a lot more choice, which is it's always exciting to see the innovation that comes out of challenging moments and, um, I love hearing about it from this industry. So Lucas, you know, your, your um, expertise is in technical consulting. What do you see around the corner or, or see around the corner in particular, sort of in that intersection of, of building materials, sustainability, climate, you know, what excites you? What innovation is coming out of this moment that we might not have seen had this not happened? 
Sure, sure. I mean, again, the, the great pause, as I've heard it ca called many times now, it, it's just given people a moment to, to reflect and research and reprioritize. So that's been, a, that's been a nice thing. And I don't know if there's anything brand new that I'm seeing, but I'm seeing trends that would have maybe moved slower, pick up the pace a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Before I say those, I want to mention, though, um, there's one of, the, one of the attendees that asked about um, the cost of virtual assessments and all that. And I just wanted to address on my end of things, um, vert, I, I think of things in both carbon metrics as well as cost metrics almost always. Um, one of the wishes I had this year was to travel a lot less and see my kids more often. I was on the road two or three weeks a month before this. Um, so I didn't want it to come true this way, <laughs> um, but it kind of, you know, in a perverse way it did come true. But what I've come to really realize and our companies come to realize is virtual is effectively free for both carbon and cost. If I was going to go do a job site visit in like coastal Oregon, for me, that's flying, then driving eight hours, et cetera, et cetera. There's thousands and thousands of pounds of carbon built into that site visit for like spending an hour on a job site with someone, plus all the, t the time and cost, right? So what I tell people is if I do virtual site visits, I can spend eight hours on the phone with you, on FaceTime with you going through your job site details, where if I actually fly out there, I'm going to have to like either charge you for it or so like what I guess what I'm getting at is, and, and when I was a home energy retrofitter too, we used to charge about 600, 700 bucks, maybe up to 900 bucks to do a whole house assessment with like, you know, BPI building analyst protocols. When we started doing that virtually, we just did it for free because it cost us almost nothing to do. And it was such a great sales tool that we could just offer it for free. So there is a dramatic opportunity to decrease carbon and cost with uh, virtual. So embodied carbon, embodied carbon, embodied carbon. I can't say those <laughs> enough. Um, I even got my brand new ask me about embodied carbon hat uh, from the embodied carbon network, which I'm one of the uh, core members of, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the, the one of the things I'd really stress is that we can no longer accept this overly simplified and often counterproductive concept of cost effective efficiency as what we need to go towards. The term I've coined recently is carbon effective efficiency. So we need to be delivering carbon effective efficiency as cost effectively as possible. Cost effective is not the goal. Carbon effective is the goal. And then we need to do that cost effectively. For instance, a passive house built in Seattle with a bunch of spray foam and XBS insulation has about a 300 to 500 year carbon payback on just the embodied carbon of the insulation materials alone. Not any other element of the house, not foundation, framing, finishes, none of that. Just the insulation materials, right? In Tucson, where there's much higher carbon impact, that building's more like a 30 to 50 year payback. Wow. But that's still not very meaningful um, from a life cycle carbon saving standpoint. So there's really nothing more important that we need to pay attention to. Just as uh, you know, energy efficiency starting in the 70s was this revolution that transformed the way we think about buildings, embodied carbon is equally big, if not bigger, in the way that we think about how we deliver efficiency. So another way to say it is we need to deliver efficiency efficiently, right? Mm -hmm. Um, see, here's my catchphrases, Sarah. I got a few more for you. I, I know you're the winner of the catchphrases here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so basically, 
you know, the, the irony of this, I guess, is that it's, we need to take a moment to, you know, t swallow this tough pill that a lot of what we're doing now isn't necessarily helpful from a carbon standpoint. But at the same time, we need to stop and celebrate, round of applause for all the utilities, because we've done such a darn good job decarbonizing your grids. Round of applause for the government, because we've done a great job increasing energy codes. So we have higher performance buildings that are getting lower carbon electricity, wonderful. But that means that about 90% of the carbon impact by 2050 in most areas is embodied carbon, not operational carbon. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing more important to pay attention to right now than how we deliver the efficiency we're delivering it. And uh, in general, I, I promote a, a, a more holistic view. And I think you guys do a wonderful job of this too, of energy efficiency. I have these things I call the five factors of good building, being comfort, health, efficiency, durability and life cycle carbon impact is kind of the big five. And I think we need to focus on optimizing those things, all of them. Oftentimes we turn up the efficiency knob and turn down all four other knobs dramatically. And that's just not a good project holistically, right? Um, so what does that mean on the ground? That means control layers first. That means our air, water, thermal, and vapor control layers. So our insulation, our air tightness, our waterproofing. We need to prioritize those. People might not seem to really care about those things, but they care a lot about what they deliver, the comfort, the health, the efficiency, the durability. So the thing itself, people don't care about, but the, the utility of it, the effect of that action is what they care about. And I guess one last thing is, if we want something to meaningfully scale, I've come up with a couple basic rules over decades of doing this on tens of thousands of projects now. First and foremost, you have to support health and comfort because that's what drives decisions. Even me, I won't do something that's in my house that's gonna make me less healthy, less comfortable if it's gonna improve the environment, right? Like you have to talk about this through the lens of comfort and health. We should be aiming for 100 plus years of durability so we have time for those operational carbon savings to add up before we put in a bunch more embodied carbon of you know, fixing the building. Uh, it needs to be easy and profitable for contractors to install because if contractors aren't enjoying doing it and aren't making money doing it, it's never gonna be more than something cool that sits on a shelf. Um, we need it to be clear and safe for engineers and architects to specify. And in general, what I, you know, this is a term I've used before, but with my background in ecology, I like to call it a high performance ecosystem. And it's like, how can utilities and government programs help drive creating these ecosystems in their communities, these networks of everyone that's required and don't forget the subcontractors. Don't forget the people that are actually gonna install the fricking materials. Because so often these conversations happen at the executive C-suite level and it doesn't translate to the field. And what matters is like your lead carpenters, the heads of your insulation crews, those are the people that really need to understand this stuff and be engaged uh, as much as the management does. So uh, I guess that'll be the end of my stump speech for the day. All right, well, thanks Lucas. Yes. And we are gonna, close out with Renee. You started this conversation, so you'll uh, round us out here. As project and work returns to some semblance of normalcy, what are you hopeful for in the future? You know, uh, I'm actually really optimistic uh, going forward. I think right now, uh, if you are a contractor that is professional and works responsibly, this is your time to shine. Um, when you show, you know, there's a lot of people out there that really want to do business, um, it, then care about their customers, do it the right way, do it the safe way. 
So when you are able to show that to a customer uh, and do all the research on how, how this COVID will affect them and, and how you can safely do work in their home, uh, you're going to actually prove yourself uh, to be um, a very professional, qualified professional um, insulation contractor. So I'm going to share one quick story before we move on. So we actually have installed a policy where all of our crews take disinfectants uh, with them in their trucks. And when they go to do an install, uh, and they really don't touch a whole lot, but you obviously have to touch a doorknob to get in and out. So we quickly wiped down that doorknob. Well, one of the projects that we went to uh, was actually the home of a nurse. And she thought that the fact that we took care of making sure that we wiped down her doorknob was absolutely fantastic. So little things like that can really position yourself well uh, in, your, in your market. All right. Well, thank you, Renee. And I wanna thank all of you for joining us today. You know, contractors play a critical role in translating safety, comfort, and sustainability into real reality, into bringing energy efficiency into the homes. And, you know, we, we view you all as sort of being on the front lines um, you know, and, and, and doing really important work and, you know, making sure that the, the connection between customers and utility programs is there and that, you know, you're delivering what the utility programs are trying to promote and need to have happen. So we're really grateful for you. Um, you know, I want to uh, take this opportunity to thank all of you for the work you do and for sharing your experience. Um, you know, some of us have, have worked in this space for a long time. So installation contractors and home performance contractors and installers, renewable installers are people we think about a lot, but we know the average homeowner isn't often sitting around thinking about their insulation um, or, or those, other, those other things. So we really appreciate you and we appreciate the time you took today to join us and share your perspective with the other folks on the call. Um, for everyone else on the call, we, we hope this conversation provided you with a sense of you know, what the contractors are going through and what they're thinking about, what challenges they're facing and what solutions they're coming up with right now to help address, um, address those challenges. Uh, we know you're likely to leave this conversation with some more thoughts or some more questions. So please feel free to reach out to us and uh, we can uh, get back to you or support you in answering those questions. Um, if there's anything else we can do for you, also please let us know. You can send an email to me at sarah at illumadvising.com or reach out to us at info at illumadvising.com and we will be sure to get back to you. So thanks again to all our panel and all of you who joined us. We wish you and your families and your work families good health and we look forward to connecting with you all again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. This podcast was created by Illum's production team, Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you, everyone. Be safe, be well, keep an ear out for upcoming podcasts, and we'll see you soon.